So just making sure that you're getting early and consistent sun exposure, not indoor lighting, but outside sun exposure, will help anchor your clock. It'll regulate melatonin production. And then when the nighttime comes, just start dimming the lights in your house. So if the sun's up, everything's bright. If the sun's down, start to dim it down. That's it. Like, <laughs> yeah. I would just start there. Yeah. If you can get early and consistent sun exposure, just frequent little three, five-minute bouts during the day, you will feel radically different. Welcome to the Sports Backdrop, where we use sports as a backdrop for way bigger conversations. That includes discussing the latest trends and developments in the world of sports. I am your host, Eric Kazmop. This podcast exists because of the team at CADCM. At CADCM, we make content creation enjoyable. We are on a mission to help leaders create content, content that will improve lives, content to be proud of, content that fosters community. We know through firsthand experience how content brings people together, and we love helping make that happen. We produce podcasts, short-form videos, blog posts, and other written works, while also providing support in website development, social media management, and strategic planning. And we would be excited to help you Visit cascm.com to learn more or feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn or Twitter. I want to start with the Aggies, Texas A&M. <laughs> when you were there, this is the Big 12, right? Yeah. Who was your head coach at the time? Wow, we're going way back. Yes, we are. <laughs> R.C. Slocum. Yeah. And then my senior year, it was Dennis Francione. Okay, so this is what's fascinating to me. You're in college, you're playing, right? Tell me, like, head coach changes. Mm. That's a big deal. Like, I've heard students, student athletes showing up on campus, and this person that recruited them is, you know, there was a changeover in that time. And things have changed, obviously, in college sports with the transfer portal and all that. But my gosh, I mean, at that high level of college football and a coach changes going into your last year, like, what was that like? Well, I had a different perspective, and that was because I was a walk-on, so I was a preferred walk-on. A&M is kind of the home of the twelfth man, so being a walk-on, like it was first of all, it was really hard to get just to get to that level. It actually ended up being a great blessing for me because I got a fresh set of eyes, yeah, and I ended up playing mm. because they looked at me as not as a walk-on, but as somebody that could do something. And I think nothing against Coach Slocum. I, I love the guy. Like, he's a great man and still have a lot of respect for him and have talked to him over the years. But sometimes you just need a fresh set of eyes to really evaluate when coaches come in. They just kind of have a blank slate. Yeah. And I'll never forget, we were in training camp. They moved me to the defensive side of the ball. And the defensive line coach, Stan Egan, was like, hey, if you would have played defense all four years, you really could have been something. And I was like, wow. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, yeah. too late, but it was just a learning lesson and I got to play and I got to travel and I got to do all the things and I earned the coach's respect. And, you know, I think I had the respect of my teammates because I worked really hard, but I was never the best athlete. I mean, the group of players that I came in with, I think we had nine guys go in the first three rounds of the draft. Wow. We were stupid loaded with talent. That kind of like the year before and year after me, it was just dumb how much talent we had. And I'm quite honestly, we didn't live up to our expectation. Yeah, that's a lot. You look at teams now like Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, 
when you send that many players into the draft in the first three rounds, that's significant. I mean, that's like an NFL team that's showing up every Saturday. Oh, a lot of these guys won multiple Super Bowls. Yeah. I mean, had long, long careers. Yeah. It wasn't just my perspective. It was theirs as well. Yeah, absolutely. When that conversation happens, like when that's set, like you can look back on it now and reflect on that moment to say, man, if you would have played defense yeah. all four years, like I get it today. It's like, man, that too late, whatever, learned your lesson, move on. Do you remember that moment being like, oh shit, like, are you serious? <laughs> or it just is what it is at that point. Cause you know, I think you hear yeah. at different ages, we take those things very differently and then we get older and wiser and we can learn to live with it. But it was a year and a half before and we had our spring football game and I was going up against, so the start, like there's, you know, you have a, like a maroon and a white team yeah, and the, the starting guard on the white team got hurt. And so they're like, Eric, you're going to play. Like, okay, you're going to start the whole game and you are going up against the defensive tackle that was basically being aligned over me the entire time was Ty Warren, who I believe was the ninth pick overall in the draft. He's one of the best defensive linemen I've ever seen. Yeah. And I thought that I played well. And, you know, after the spring game, coach pulls you in his office. We go over the offseason and my offensive line coach is like, Eric, you graded out like 85%. Mm. which is a winning grade. Yeah. And he's like, I have no idea how that happened. And I'm like, okay. And he's like, it was amazing, but you're not going to play next year. And I'm sitting here thinking to myself, like I just went up against arguably one of the, he is one of the top 10 players in college football. Yeah. And I held my own and you're not even going to take that as a signal that this guy could do something. Like maybe we should take a look at him being an extra guard or an extra position on field goal or whatever. Yeah. But I think that that was kind of my lot in life. And that, you know, my favorite Bible verses in James, it's like, consider it pure joy whenever you go through trials of many kinds, because the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Mm. And I feel like that that's kind of been like the story of my life is like, just keep chopping wood. And it's prepared me for a very hard career in sports. And then even now as an entrepreneur. Yeah. So taking that and I was listening to a conversation you were having and you mentioned it, it was bullying. So when you were younger, you mentioned mm. you were a chubby kid. You got made fun of a lot. And I think you mentioned that you asked your kids, hey, you know, are you guys dealing with this? Like what's going on? And I'm sure you, yeah. you have a lot of stories there, conversations that you've had with your family. It's a problem. Like it hasn't gone away and now you have social media. So when kids have a struggle at school, let's say, they don't escape it. Like when we went home from school, there was no social media. You didn't have that. So we're like, the conflict kind of ended and it had time to just defuse itself and you'd go back the next day. But nowadays it's like, that can continue. The stress can continue. And bullying comes in many forms. And it's not up to you or I or a principal or a teacher to understand what that child is going through just because they have a smile on their face doesn't mean that they're happy. And just because they're not smiling doesn't mean that they're not happy, right? Mm. There's so much to that. But when you bring this up and like you're talking about high level college football and you're talking about the stuff that you do today and the resilience that you have and how you're helping other people, both athletes and entrepreneurs and just anybody, that bullying thing is real and you know, I think people can overcome that like you have to be better mm -hmm. for it. 
But that doesn't make it like absolutely miserable in the moment for so many kids and families and schools. And, you know, I think a lot of schools tote this line, just like you hear about in, in sports teams and you hear about it in companies like great customer service or our pursuit of winning. It's all bullshit. I mean, it's not always, but oftentimes it is. And it's frustrating to hear that. But again, like going back, like it's a real issue. And when we talk about mental health and all the stuff that we're seeing and post COVID and kids that didn't have a lot of time with their peers for like, let's say a year to two years. Like when I'm saying all that, like, where does that take you? Yeah, it takes me back to a lot of moments on the bus, getting made fun of, called fat, physically bullied at school, beat up. There was some anger inside of me and I wanted to show people that I was more than just like the skin, right? Mm. Than this flesh. And I think when I got into football in sixth grade, my parents finally let me play. <laughs> and there was a lot of wisdom in that. Now we know, especially because yeah. of like head injuries and stuff. And, and so I'll never forget, just to bring this full circle, there was this one kid who was just awful to me. I mean, he was always a popular kid, but he was just terrible and i was on this team called the eagles and the eagles were all the kids that hadn't played together since fourth grade and we were all like the leftovers but we had some freak athletes i'm talking like just stupid good in sixth grade and the team that this kid was on was all the kind of popular kids and they even had cheerleaders <laughs> and it was called the lions and i'll never forget this kid lined up over me and I unleashed so much fury and I just did it over and over and over and over again. And I think he left that day knowing who I was. Mm. And I think that's the equalizer in sport is you can do this in a way I didn't hurt him. I played within the boundaries of the game. Yeah. And I just enforced my will on him. And he never really messed with me anymore. Yeah. Because he knew who I was, because I wasn't going to physically assault somebody, but you want to step in between the lines, I'll bring it to you all day long. Yeah, You know, if you strap it up, you've willingly chose to take me on and that's going to be a bad day for you. And so but let me bring it full circle. Yeah. Like four years ago, this is before I deleted Facebook. I deleted all my Facebook and then I added it back when I started building this kind of thought leadership platform, but I really don't do much on there. Right. This guy reaches out to me and he's a father of a couple kids. I believe he's in the, went into the military and he's like, Hey man, I just want to let you know that I feel really bad for years about how I treated you for years. I've been thinking about this and he's like, you never deserved it. My parents are going through a divorce. I was going through a really tough time and I just brought it all out on you. And I feel good about myself in a sense that I never I never responded. I never retaliated. I never called him names. I never tried to fight him. You know, we went to battle on the football field, but that's a whole different deal. Yeah. But I carried myself in a way that years later, maybe I had an impact in his life, you know, because like, here's somebody like, there's kind of this whole turn the other cheek thought. We're like, we live in a world where it's really easy just to counter punch, but sometimes absorbing a blow is better than coming back yeah you hear the uh it's like i think a water boy like tackling fuel right like what's it gonna make for you to like to do something and and so often it is like stand up to the bully and do this but it sounds like 
yeah, he was on the football field with you, but whoever was going to line up against you that day, like maybe that you just took it to that next level because it was perhaps this other kid. Bro, yeah. I always took it to that level. Yeah. I mean, I will just be on like in whatever sport I've done jujitsu now as an adult. And now there's a little bit different when you compete, it's different. Yeah. When you compete, it is, it's a gentleman's warfare. My wife's 10 times better than me. She's a brown belt. That's scary. Yeah. <laughs> I had literally had to start jujitsu because she was like messing around, like choking me in the closet. And I was like, okay, 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 I gotta do this. But like, you know, that's the one thing about sports is like, there are boundaries. There's a way to be a good sport. But like, especially in physical sports, you know, as long as you're playing within the boundaries of the game, you can use and enforce your will. Yeah. And uh, I think it's like business, right? Like, I'm not trying to go hurt anybody. Matter of fact, we're trying to serve people, but you know what? We compete to win. Yeah. There's no other way to do this but to compete to win within the boundaries without cheating, but to maximize your ability. I think anything less than that, you're just wasting your time. Yeah. What about the kid or the person that can't compete, that won't compete, that just doesn't play the sport, but there's something else that's going on there? You know, is that, mm -hmm. is that an awareness to get more kids out in the field, to get more kids playing? And again, not everyone's going to play football and probably not everybody should play football. I think this is a parent or an adult figure needs to come into their life. Yeah. The only reason I was able to endure was my parents. They were good yeah. people, right? Mm. Loving parents. If I didn't have loving parents, or I had a fractured home, I can only imagine, I probably would have been very suicidal. I can almost guarantee you I would have. Yeah. How old are you, Eric? Yeah, I'm in my mid-40s. Yeah, you and I are about the same age. We grew up in a very weird time. The grunge era, the, like suicide was climbing. I had a friend that took his life when I was in seventh grade. I mean, just crazy stuff, right? Yeah. And if I didn't have good parents, and I think this is where if you see somebody that's struggling, you need to step up and be a role model, engage. These kids need healthy, warm relationships and a safe environment. Yeah. So they have somebody they can trust and lean on. Yeah. It's tough today, man. I agree. I think it's tough at all times. I mean, just mm -hmm. pick an era. But when you throw social media into the mix and what's going on today, I think it's very difficult. And I think that last thing you said of, there are people out there, whether it's a teacher, whether it's another family, whether it's a coach, whether it's just, you name it, a counselor. And there's people out there. And like you said, for people to step up and, and this type of stuff, you know, I look at you, you have all this content you've produced. You come on this podcast, you go on a lot of other podcasts. I remember like starting this business. It was before I started this business. So it's over 10 years ago. And podcasts were so important because we all have this stuff coming in our head, right? Self-doubt, negative talk, what I did come up with stuff, right? But when you listen to you, Eric, like that is powerful. And if you do it enough times, mm -hmm. it becomes part of what you start believing. You can go down this path and I get it. You can go down the wrong path, just the same thing, right? That's what leads to people committing suicide. And, mm -hmm. you know, I've heard stories of there's how to commit suicide videos that pop up on YouTube shorts or TikTok. Like that's fucking crazy. Chat GPT. Somebody asked Chat GPT how to commit suicide and the guy killed yeah. himself. Now it's not Chat GPT's fault, but it's nuts. Yeah, it's society, right? It's like, where are we with all this stuff? So man, it's super important to find some sort of out reading a book, whatever, working out, exercise, like maybe you don't play the sport, maybe you just go to the gym and then okay, cool. Now I'm getting more into that. And the more someone gets into that, you start to see like, 
they're diving into more information. And there's, there's a lot of information out there. So as I transition into this, it's like, what do I do with all this? And you've used the word, like there's a lot mm. of people talking about biohacking. And I know Dr. Andrew Huberman's become a huge, it's like, wow, like everyone's listening to everything. And he's not bad, right? It's just long form content. And I think you would say, man, this is super useful. You break it down for us. But then you hear like Joe Rogan. And again, these are all people that are fascinating to listen to and absolutely dive into it. But what do you know? Like, okay, take these supplements. No, do this workout. No, sleep like this. No, take stress on like that way. And I'm not saying it's bad information. I just think it's so much. And as people who are busy and if things going on, like, how do you break it all down? Because then it's, I'm just doing it all wrong. Or you go out to dinner with a friend and like, no, no, you, you can't do that diet. You got to do this diet. And it's like, holy shit, I don't even know where to go next. So I'm just thinking like, I've talked to some people and like, man, if you're just doing pushups, like be proud of yourself that at least you're doing that. But yes, you know, <laughs> I had a great conversation with Dr. Kathy Goldstein. This podcast is not aired yet, but she's a neurologist at the University of Michigan Sleep Disorder Clinic. And she is widely quoted in like major media outlets on sleep stuff. So I got her on the podcast. And I'm like, look, Kathy, let's get real on these sleep wearable. I, I, my company uses wearable tech, but I'm right. like, we know that sleep stages is not something it can really measure. And we got all these people out there that are focused on like deep sleep and REM sleep and all this kind of stuff. You can't manipulate it. Yeah. Okay. And so she said, you know what? She just got back from a big sleep conference. And she said, a group of us got together and somebody said that sleep is a human right. Now, I'm saying this in context of a lot of these biohacking, like all this stuff, it makes it sound like it's unapproachable. And it's not. Like the five pillars, for we could talk about another time about building adaptive capacity or sleep, exercise, mental fitness, nutrition, and fostering healthy relationships. Exercise, just get your heart rate up any way that you like for about 150 to 300 minutes a week, and then do two total body resistance training sessions a week whatever that looks like. Now, there's some parameters on how hard you need to go. And guess what? You lower all-cause mortality by 41 to 47%. I didn't mention one protocol and that can be cut and diced in a lot of different flavors. Sleep. There's only a couple things you really need to pay attention to, and there's some behaviors associated with that. Nutrition. There's like basic fundamental tenets. A lot of these different ways of eating, whether it's vegan, whether it's what, there's just basic tenets you need to follow, right? And you can cut it and dice it any way you want. The problem is, is that doesn't sell. What sells is the mystery protocol from, you know, <laughs> yeah. I like Andrew Huberman, but like, it kind of gets a little nuts. Like you need to go wake up in the morning and sprint into the ocean and touch your foot <laughs> to a whale while gazing at Saturn. And you're just like, what in the world? I know that's not what he's saying, but yeah, I get it. it's getting to that <laughs> level. Now, even I've caught myself like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like I'm a busy parent. This doesn't make sense. Like, so I've really just like, what can the average person do that's busy, that's time poor, that doesn't shame them? And sometimes winning is like going for a walk, spending five minutes on your mental fitness and patting yourself on the back. Yeah. So that's how I'm trying to break through the noise is like, let's bring it down to reality. Yeah. We start to feel like you're not, people feel like they're not good enough. It's going back to school, right? Like the kid's popular. The kid's a really good athlete. Okay. So you're not those things. So you're not good, right? You're doing mm. this walk. You're doing this workout. You're eating and you think it's good. And then you hear like, no, these people are, they're doing cold plunges, right? They got a sauna in their bathroom for kind of, I don't have a cold plunge or a sauna. <laughs> yeah. I have a cold shower. Yeah. <laughs> I like to take cold showers, but guess what? I don't have 
And there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. But most people can't afford it, nor do they have time for it. Yeah. But I take a cold shower just because it wakes me up in the morning. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, that's it. I mean, that's what I'm looking for is it's tough because you're just everywhere you turn, right? Because I think this podcasting platform is amazing. Social media can be amazing. It can be completely mm -hmm. toxic to documentaries, content, where, everywhere you go. And it's all being sold to you, like you just said, to just know this is the way to go. And I think we need more of the simplicity aspect of it. I've heard eat less and work out more, right? Like if you want to lose weight, I get it. It sounds so basic and sounds so silly, but I don't know, like what you just said before of just the type of workouts that you suggest that people can do. Because, you know, I sit here and look, okay, you have entrepreneurs, you have people in business, they have families, they have two, three, four kids, what have you. They have fun things they want to do. They want to travel. They, they have stress. They have, they want to watch a TV show once in a while. They want to go out to dinner. How are they taking it and saying, okay, how can I fit this in? It's one thing for mm -hmm. someone on the Houston Texans <laughs> and their fitness program. You can't compare that with... They're getting paid. Right? They're getting paid to do that, right? Yeah. Like that's their job. Yeah. So how do you look at that? Right? Like, because you've seen it for yourself personally. You've worked with Olympic athletes, NFL football players, and you're working mm -hmm. with the general public. Like putting all that together... And all of these things that we're talking about and making sure people, I mean, you clearly, I get the sense from everything that I've seen in our conversation today that you are really want to help people and you want to make it easy for them and take that burden away from them. Yeah, I appreciate you saying that, Eric. That is really kind of you. And that's why I left sports to start this company, AIM7. I mean, this is an entrepreneur show is... In football, I pioneered the use of athlete wearable tracking. So if you've ever seen an NFL game, you see somebody running on the field and like, oh, they ran 20 miles an hour or whatever. I brought that technology to the U.S. 2011 and opened like a multi-billion dollar market for sports wearables. Problem is we didn't have any idea how to use the data at first, and it caused a lot of friction, mm. a lot of friction within the organization. When we are able to figure this thing out, it improve performance, reduce injuries, and now you kind of see the byproduct. Well, with consumers now, they got all these devices, right? The Apple Watch, the Fitbit, the Garmin, the Aura, the Whoop, the blah, 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 blah. And it's just data, and it can be frustrating and overwhelming. And so I started a company to make it simple and to help bring some simplicity to this. And I think the to give people daily personalized recommendations, what we say is mind, body, and recovery, to help them look, feel, and perform better. Like, so exactly what do I do today based off of the things I like to do and my habits? But I think of all the things that we've done in this app, we've got amazing metrics right now. Like over 80% of the people that try the app convert to a paying customer. Over 80% are staying after a month. And we got like a 65% 90-day conversion rate, which is just like mm. stupid right now. We teach people in the very first week of the app our very unique, what we call behavior design model of how to wire in behaviors and turn them into long-term habits. And we anchor all of this on your goals and your values. It's a very deep exploration. And the people that get to the end of the first week, doesn't take a lot of time, it's a few minutes a day, are now equipped to continue to take action no matter what happens in life. When emotion enters the equation, and there's a balance to things because they understand what their values are and who they want to be in the moment. And that's really kind of the enduring thing that we're building with AIM7. And uh, it was something that just kind of happened over building the product is like, 
How do you get somebody who's really busy to consistently take simple actions for their own best self-interest? The only way you can do that is it has to be deeply rooted in who they are. It's not hard for me to exercise because, first of all, I found out I have some weird gene. They call it the warrior gene. It's like one of those 23 Me things. And it was like, do you feel like you constantly need to exercise? And my <laughs> wife's like, that's you. That's me. I have it. But I also just like, it's like, it is medicine for me. But there's other things that are a struggle. But when I face those moments where like, I need to do this, I go back to my values what I really care about, and then it makes the decision. I'm not going to say easy, but it makes it a little bit more clear what I need to do. Yeah. Man, I'll tell you what, decision-making is really tough. And when you go back mm. on those values, you know, I remember this one time I had to decide there was like a hurricane coming to our area. And I'm inland a few hours. So it's like, it's not normal that a hurricane would come over to Charlotte, North Carolina, and I had a wedding to go to. And I was cooked <laughs> and I was ready to leave. And we could get out. And it was really hard to know what was going to happen here. I have a family. And this is one of my better friends, right? Like, and I want to be there. We all wanted to be there, which couldn't work, right? So my wife couldn't go. So I was like, do I go, do I not? And it came back to, it's not to say that I don't like my friend or my friends or any of that kind of stuff, but it's my family, right? Mm. If something happened, I would never live with myself. Mm. I ended up staying. I remember picking up my daughters at school that day. They didn't know if I had left or not because it's kind of like just happened. It was all just happening. And I saw her walk towards me and she looked at me and she's like, you stayed. And she had this face and it was like, that was everything, man. Like You value caring. You value commitment. It's crazy that weekend. The amount of rain we got was insane. And different parts of Charlotte got different rain. Like we were in like the heavy buckets of rain. This tree fell down. It didn't touch our house. We were fine. No, but you heard it. And you're like, imagine if that tree fell in the house. And it didn't. And it probably, the odds of mm. that even happening were very slim. But it's just like... But seeing my daughter's face more than anything else, it's just when you have your values, your decisions become that much easier. And if other people can't mm -hmm. align with that, that's not your problem. Mm. You know, I guess it's, it's not exactly talking about fitness and all those things, but when it's, hey, I need to go for this walk. I need to exercise. I need to eat these things. And I'm not going out late tonight. I'm not partying. I'm not drinking, right? If someone has that because of these other decisions they've already made and their values, that's it, right? That becomes very easy for them to go work out. You just made the case. Yeah. That's it. And it applies to everything else. Why do you work hard? Yeah. Because you value excellence or maybe you value mm. impact. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Like you're going to go the extra mile because of what you value. If you don't value those things, you just flat out won't do it. Yeah. And you don't, you know, everybody's got different values and that's personal to who you are. Sure. And you don't have to explain that to anybody else. Yeah. Yeah. These wearables, I got one right here, right? <laughs> They're awesome. What is it? It's the Apple Watch. Okay, yeah, yeah. It's one of the last, either this last year or the year before, I don't remember. There's so many. And they're great, right? Sometimes I got to take it off because I'm on vacation. I'm like, I'm not wearing this thing, right? I got to get rid of this. Yeah, thing. yeah. But I do like seeing steps. I do like seeing, you know, could I work out and all this type of stuff. And I don't use it for messaging unless it's my kids, right? Mm -hmm. But I also know... How is this precise? And I'll go on a walk with my wife and we've walked different distances, but we've been side by side the entire time. So, I, you know, I'm not saying it's bad. Mm -hmm. There's technology and it's compared to what it was. Anyway, you have AIM-7 and you're developing it. It sounds like you're taking a ton of feedback. You're taking a ton of data and this is going to continue mm -hmm. to improve. But it seems like as I was reading through it and learning about it, and I got to do some more learning and I hope to be, I want to be a part of it. Like, it seems like we need apps like AIM-7 
to really take advantage of what these wearables can offer us as opposed to just another gadget that's attached to us of which I'm surrounded by gadgets, right? <laughs> yeah, that's one thing we don't need another no. one of is another gadget. Right. And I appreciate you saying that, but we're hardware data agnostic. We are what we call the decision intelligence layer. We make it all useful and we make it approachable. So yes, data without actionable insight or actionable recommendations is completely useless. And I learned that in sports the very hard way. And the reason Fitbit lost billions, and I mean billions in their valuation, is because people got tired of tracking. They wanted to know what to do. And I heard their CEO actually said, we just weren't listening. Mm. And then the Apple Watch came out. And then the Apple Watch had dual functionality and people ditched Fitbit and went to Apple. Well, what we're doing is, is we're doing that. We're giving you like, here's exactly what you need to do each day for your mind, body, and recovery. So here's how hard, how long, and the type of exercise you should do based off of the things you enjoy. And we've demonstrated this that if you like manipulate this, like, so like, let's say you like to do the elliptical and yoga and weightlifting, you'd be like, you know what, based off of how your body and mind's recovering today, just go on the elliptical for 30 minutes and stay in this zone and feel good about it. Like that is not available on the market right now. And then from a mental health perspective, it's like, oh, we notice your stress, use this specific breathwork tool and we have the tools in there. Or your mood is down, here's a specific gratitude intervention. We do the same thing with sleep and then what we do is after seven days is we analyze your data and we're like, hey, Eric, here's the one area you should focus on. Here's this tiny, small little goal. We give you real-time feedback and encouragement. We anchor your actions to your values. And then we have this masterclass library we built in there with some of the best performance experts in the world. Granted, this is for busy people. This is not for athletes. This is for the everyday folk like you and me. You know, they got kids that are just busy. Yeah. And we just want to know what to do. Yeah. But we're expanding this rapidly, you know, out of just sleep, exercise, and mental fitness. But soon we'll be coming out with some very bespoke solutions that can actually tailor to another level that people have just never seen before. But we've had just so, it's amazing the stories that come back of just like, I'm a more present mom. Mm. I'm sleeping an hour more each night and I'm exercising more. My energy's, I got a text yesterday. From the director of sports science at one of the top five football programs in America. Now, this is like an elite program, and this is the guy that's responsible for all of it. And he was like, even I needed this reminder of like when I don't need to push it, the pedal down. Yeah. And he's like, it's my barometer for when to go hard, when to pull back, when to focus on my mental health, et cetera. So we just tried to make it as simple as possible for folks leveraging whatever device they like to use. Yeah, all those stories you just shared about the mom being more present, the leader of the college football program. I mean, because you're surrounded, like I said so many times, by so much of this stuff and you just think, no, no, just keep going, just keep pushing through it. And you know, sometimes you need to take a break and sometimes you do need to push hard, right? It's all the above at times, so. E, I'm taking a vacation. Yeah. After this, this is my last podcast I'm doing for a couple of weeks, bro. Yeah. And I am like unplugging from the matrix. Yeah, that's it. I mean, we all need to. And sometimes we need, like my team's like, Eric, you need to take time yeah. off. We actually made it an OKR. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the quarter. Yeah. But bro, we all need somebody to like, and that's what we want to be is that trusted resource. It's kind of just like, hey, we're here with you all. That's aim seven. We're pointing you in the right direction. We're with you all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Two quick things for you. All these podcasts that you've done, I think yeah. it was like 320, the guests, 
appearances and all that kind of stuff. Obviously, you're trying to get the word mm. out. You're trying to get the message out, but you don't know which one's going to make the difference. And some might not make a difference. And maybe you just learn a lot from just talking through it and learning the story. But why all this? There's a lot of content. Why all this content? Wow. I had never really thought about it like you just said it. <laughs> I started the podcast because I wanted to serve the audience. This started this two and a half, almost three years ago now. I just wanted to build the audience and start serving them that I think would benefit from AIM-7. And AIM-7 was just a kernel of an idea. So that's where it started. It's a creative outlet. And I enjoy the process of teaching. And I feel like I'm just starting to get okay at it. I don't feel like I'm very good yet, but I feel like I'm starting to understand my voice and what's connecting and what's not connecting. And I'm doing more writing and I just love it. Yeah. I really love it. And then when I get these random messages from folks, DMs, just emails, how it's impacted them. I mean, it is just, it makes the pain worth it. Why I'm going on other podcasts to reach other audiences, to share the message, to bring hope. And also every time you go on another show, you walk away with something like, that you've learned, like, for instance, you're opening here talking about Texas A&M. That's the first time anybody's ever asked me that question about switching coaches. And I'm like, wow, that was a next level podcasting. And I'm always wanting to up my game. I see this as something like, you know, God willing, like AIM 7, you know, everybody looks at the life cycle as the next 10 years, we have some big event, like an IPO or whatever, right? And I know that no CEO lasts forever. Yeah. And so I see this as something that I can well into my 50s and 60s, even 70s, as I become less of the doer, I can become more of the teacher and curate information and help people. And that's kind of where I see the long tail of Eric Corum, hopefully making an impact on the world, is just continuing to bring my experience and uh, experience of other folks like you, Eric, and just curating that and trying to deliver it in a way that makes an impact. Yeah. It's thoughtful, man. It really is. There's so many different answers for it. And everyone's just like working out all these things. It's like, there's different reasons behind why someone's doing something. And I'm here for all of it. Mm -hmm. The last thing is you've mentioned a few times, you brought up sleep. Sleep's constantly talked about. It's very confusing, right? We know we need to sleep more. It's obviously important. You said there's certain mm -hmm. basic sleep behaviors, right? If you're going to break it down, like, hey, just don't go crazy. Don't get too far out of your skis. You're going to freak yourself out. Like you need this type of light. You need, you can't be on your phone for this. You need all that. Like what are some of those very basic sleep behaviors that you were talking about? Yeah, there's only three metrics that you really need to pay attention to. That's duration, how long you sleep, onset, when you go to bed, and consistency. Okay, duration, it's very well established. Seven to nine hours of sleep is what adults need to thrive. There's direct relationships to all-cause mortality, type 2 diabetes, cardiovascular disease. And most of us overestimate our sleep by about a half an hour. So going to bed at 11, waking up at six, it's not going to get you seven. It's more like six and a half. So that's one thing. Two, when you go to bed directly impacts your risk for depression, believe it or not. There was research done at the Broad Institute at MIT and Harvard with almost a million people in the UK biobank. And they found that just shifting your onset time back one hour significantly impact major depression by over like 23%, lowered your risk of major depression. Ideally, you're asleep before midnight. That's ideal. 11 o'clock is the best. 
And then consistency. If you need to keep a consistent sleep routine, you can flex 45 minutes up or down, maybe an hour at the most. But if you have a different routine during the week and then on the weekend, you will get what's something called social jet lag. And you will definitely have a case of the Mondays. But it's really bad for obesity, diabetes, depression. I mean, it is, you want to be consistent. And so this is a phenomenon that's now coming up that you know, researchers are now just starting to understand, but this consistency is important. So how do you do that? Really the basic, we were not designed to live indoors, man. Like we were not designed to be in offices all day long. So there's two things that drive the sleep-wake cycle. The first is just something called a homeostatic drive. And it's more biochemical in nature, meaning your body builds up these biochemicals called adenosine during the day and it makes you sleepy. Basic homeostatic drive. The other one is a circadian drive which is this 24-hour rhythm, okay, that every cell in your body is entrained to. And there's things that can entrain or anchor this in like exercise, food, humidity, and the strongest one, or what's called the strongest zeitgeber is light. So just making sure that you're getting early and consistent sun exposure, not indoor lighting, but outside sun exposure, will help anchor your clock. It'll regulate melatonin production. And then when the nighttime comes, just start dimming the lights in your house. So if the sun's up, everything's bright. If the sun's down, start to dim it down. That's it. Like, <laughs> yeah. I would just start there. Yeah. If you can get early and consistent sun exposure, just frequent little three, five-minute bouts during the day, you will feel radically different. Yeah. Simple, man. You make it simple. I appreciate it. Where do we learn about AIM7, yourself? Where do we find your podcast and all the stuff that you're putting out there? Thank you. Yeah, aim7.com. We're in private beta. We won't be in private beta for much longer. We'll be in the App Store in late August. Yeah, aim7.com. You can sign up right now and get started today. We get people in within 24 hours. It's a very neat community. We bring the best in the world to you. So like last night, we had Pratik Patel on a community call where people could do live Q&A with him. He's the former director of the New York Giants for sports nutrition. We've had the director of wellness for the Toronto Raptors. We bring in the best of the best. Yeah. 15 bucks a month. It's nothing crazy. Then Eric Quorum on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and then the Blueprint podcast is kind of like what you mentioned. We distill all this into like little 15 to 20 minute nuggets of like tactical information for busy people for what we say is cutting edge science, leadership, and life skills. So what are the what are the health things that you can put into practice? How do you lead yourself? And then the skills you need for life, like communication. I kind of found that all those things kind of lumped together. Yeah. You can have health tactics, but if you can't lead yourself, it's like you're not going anywhere. And then to really round out a human being, you need to be able to like function in the world. Yeah. <laughs> so, but it's all like really quick, like, hey, let's get right to it type of stuff. Yeah, man. This is good stuff. I appreciate it. Eric, this has been awesome. I've enjoyed getting to know you, learn about AIM7. I'll be joining. And thanks again. Thanks for your time. Thanks, EK. In case you haven't noticed, we love podcasts. In fact, we love building podcasts, everything from development to production. Because of all that, we're building a -a one-of-a-kind podcast network. If you have a podcast or looking to launch a new podcast, then we should talk. You can message me on Twitter at Eric underscore Kaz or hit us up any way that works for you. Let's talk about your podcast joining this one-of-a-kind podcast network.